Well, welcome this morning as we continue in our John series, That You May Believe. And we are ending up with um, a passage today, John chapter 15, into John chapter 16. And it follows on really nicely from where we've been um, sitting for the last couple of weeks, actually, in John 15, as we've had this real sense of Jesus calling his disciples to abide in the Father, just like a vine in a branch, and be obedient to his commands and, and love one another in that space. And today's passage actually follows on from that. So what happens after we abide in God and we love one another is that Jesus comes to this point where he, he says, you know, there's going to be an outcome from this. Um, there is actually going to be a wave of opposition against you because of the position you're holding. Um, but before we get to that, I, I just want to share a little story. It was 1984. I don't know if you remember it, but one of the big things that happened in 1984 was that the dollar bill was replaced by the dollar coin. And this was a new thing. And I must admit that I was one of four boys at the school I was at who saw an opportunity in this. And we thought that uh, there's these dollar coins, and so um, we came up with a bit of a scheme that if we went to some of the younger children who had some money for the canteen, and they had a number of coins, maybe it was a few 20s, some 50s, things like that, and some of them even had the dollar coins, so we offered a swap. We would say to these younger kids, um, look, you've got one gold coin, I'll give you three of these coins for your one gold coin. And we would swap three 20 cent pieces for the dollar coin. Um, thinking that the younger person got a bit of a deal because they got three coins for one and we then had more money to spend at the tuck shop. Um, I feel bad saying this, but this is what we did for a few, few days or even a week or so until we were caught out. Now, I remember standing before the principal and we were confronted with this situation. There was four of us there. The reality was only one of us in that group had actually done the talking and the exchanging of the money, but all four of us were guilty by association. There was this idea of we, we were there, we were around, no one could prove who actually did it. Um, we do know who did it, but... Uh, at the time, no one could prove who did it, but we were guilty by association because we were associated with the one who had done the wrong thing and was now getting in trouble. And I remember all four of us got in trouble, um, and probably rightly so when you look back on that. So I just want you to keep that little thing in mind, guilty by association, as we look at today's passage, which can be pretty hard to read and pretty hard to accept. So we're going to kick off in John 15, starting in verse 18. It says, If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master, and since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. They will do all this to you because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent me. They would not be guilty if I had not come and spoken to them. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Anyone who hates me also hates my father. 
If I hadn't done such miraculous signs among them, no one else could, that no one else could do, they would not be guilty. But as it is, they have seen everything I did, yet they still hate me and my father. This fulfills what is written in their scriptures. They hated me without a cause. But I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth. He will come to you from the father and will testify all about me. And you must also testify about me because you have seen, (coughs) sorry, you have been with me from the beginning of my ministry. Chapter 16 says this, I have told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith, for you will be expelled from the synagogues, and the time is coming when those who kill you will think they are doing a holy service for God. This is because they have never known the Father or me. Yes, I'm telling you these things now, so that when they happen, you will remember my warning. I didn't tell you earlier because I was going to be with you for a while longer. So here we are, the reality of people being against those who follow Jesus. Jesus is saying really openly to his disciples, after this call to abide in him and to love one another, he's saying there's going to come some opposition. And, and you know, as we look back at church history, this idea of people being persecuted or having opposition for following Jesus has literally been happening since people started following Jesus. Even before anyone was called a Christian or before anything called Christianity was recognised or accepted, people were persecuted because of their connection to Jesus. And what I love about as we read the scripture story and we see how the church was birthed um, in this time just after Jesus rose from the dead, we see the brutal honesty of people's faults and misdeeds and they're not removed and they're not hidden. And so the person that comes to mind in this situation for me is Saul, Saul of Tarsus, a character that we discover early in the book of Acts. And he was famous for attacking and persecuting Christians, those who were following Jesus. So there's this idea, and and just to keep up with it, so this guy Saul, he gets his name changed to Paul, Um, And we see that in Acts chapter 13 where that name change happens and Paul became one of the most ardent followers of Jesus ever and Paul has contributed a significant amount of writing to what we call the New Testament. But before he was a follower of Jesus, he was a persecutor of anyone who followed Jesus. Um, In one of the letters Paul writes that we have recorded, his letter to the Galatians, Paul says this about himself. He says, You know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. And so here's this guy writing about what he used to be like before he had a revelation of the risen Jesus. And so... Paul's writing this to the Galatians, but a few decades before that. Let's go back a little bit and see what was happening. And we read about a situation where Stephen, one of the early disciples, not one of the 12, but one of the earlier followers of Jesus, was the first one recorded to die for his faith in Jesus, to be a follower of Jesus. And so as Stephen is killed for this, that was deemed to be a crime, 
Um, we read this in Acts chapter 8. This is Saul. So Saul was one of the witnesses, that is a witness to the death and killing of Stephen. And he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. So after this Saul guy who's attacking Christians has a radical encounter with the risen Jesus, and can I encourage you to read Acts chapter 9 to really push into how that all happened? Great story. Saul had his passion for seeing people believe in the truth transformed so that he gave the rest of his life to preaching Jesus. So Saul was passionate about preaching the religion that he grew up in, um, and then after he encountered Jesus, he was passionate about preaching Jesus. He is a passionate man. And Paul preached over and over and over, Jesus is the Son of God, Jesus crucified, Jesus risen. And so as we read some of um, these parts out of Acts chapter 9, here's some of, the, some of the things. I'll just read you a little bit and then I'll show you something uh, as we continue. But So Saul, Saul was converted he had this revelation of the risen Jesus. He started staying in Damascus for a few days and he started preaching about Jesus, telling everyone he's the son of God. And the people who were hearing were saying, you know, isn't this the same guy who used to devastate the followers of Jesus? Isn't he the same guy who actually arrived here to come and take us to prison? And they couldn't work it out. And then we read, uh, starting in verse 23, after a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. This is Saul we're talking about. And when Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. And he debated with some of the Greek-speaking Jews, but they tried to murder him. So here we go. We see this picture of Saul going out with approval from the Jewish religious leaders to attack the Christians, persecute the Christians, arrest the Christians, throw them in jail. And and even, you know, supporting the death of Stephen that we just encountered. And as he starts to push into being a follower of Jesus and speaking about it, um, we read here just in that passage, the Jews were plotting to kill him and the Greek-speaking Jews were, were trying to murder him. Here he is experiencing the very same thing that he was putting onto others because of his situation and relationship with Jesus. So as we think about this, and so there's a group of people that are in this scripture here who are, who are against Saul, against what he's saying. Who are these people? Who are the they that we're talking about? And so as we unpack this, the world, because Jesus says in this passage of today's scripture, you know, the world will hate you, the world will come against you, the world will persecute you. And we can often think straight away that he's talking about that whole group that exists in the world that, that aren't religious, um, what we would call the Gentiles in, in, in the biblical times. But Jesus is pretty clear. The world Jesus lived in, the world Jesus grew up in, the world Jesus' friends and disciples were from, was from the world of Judaism, the, the, the world that existed as a religion um, in that nation of Israel, that had come through all of our Old Testament story 
um, to be in that land. And so the world Jesus is referring to is primarily referring to this world that Jesus was born and raised in. They are a people who claim to be for God. And these are the ones giving the persecution. So with that in mind, I just want to go back to today's passage and just read a couple of things. And let's put that over the top of what we've already heard. When Jesus is talking about the persecution coming to him and his followers, he's talking about religious people who claim to be with and for God. So let's look at some of today's passage. Starting in verse 18. If the world hates you, remember that it hated me. The world will love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. They will do all this to you because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent me. Anyone who hates me also hates my father. But as it is, they have seen everything I did, yet they still hate me and my father. So here's this picture. Jesus is saying to his disciples, it's the religious leaders, it's the, it's the Jewish council, it's the priests, it's the, the whole structure of this, this Jewish faith that is against him. Because remember, Jesus came with his message first and foremost to the Jews. Why did he do that? Well, he did that because the Jews were the ones who were waiting for the Messiah. The Messiah was predicted in their scriptures, in their narrative, in their story. And so Jesus came as the Messiah to present himself to the people who had been waiting for the Messiah. And as we know the story, they did not readily accept him. Not many did. So they were against him. And this continues on. Still keep this lens as we start in verse 25. This fulfills what is written in their scriptures. They hated me without a cause. But I will send the Spirit of truth. He will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. And you must also testify about me because you have been with me from the beginning of my ministry. For you will be expelled from the synagogues and the time is coming when those who kill you will think they are doing a holy service for God. This is because they have never known the Father or me. Yes, I'm telling you these things now so that when they happen you will remember my warning. And it wasn't long after Jesus said these words, we see this starting to happen. That, that death of Stephen that we just looked at in Acts chapter 8, that is the very thing Jesus is saying will happen. When they kill you, they will think they are doing a good thing for God. And when we read that story about Stephen being sentenced to death by the religious leaders of the day, they claimed he was blaspheming, they claimed he was saying things about God that were untrue and so to do God a favour, they put this guy to death. And Jesus is here really clearly saying, this is going to be happening to you. Now we've seen this before. We, as we've gone through this series in John, we read in John chapter 11 that the religious leaders were plotting to kill Jesus. We read in John chapter 12 that the chief priests were plotting to kill Lazarus. Remember, Lazarus was raised from the dead from Jesus and then the fact that this guy's now walking around again and is living proof that Jesus did something miraculous, um, the religious leaders were plotting to kill Lazarus so he couldn't testify to who Jesus was. Um, and we've just heard how the religious leaders, with Saul's approval, 
successfully killed Stephen. And history, church history tells us that tens of thousands of Jesus' followers were killed and persecuted and harassed for following Jesus in the early years of the church. What Jesus is saying in today's passage rings absolutely true. There was this tension initially from the religious establishment of the day, the Jewish nation. That's where the persecution started happening. And as the church started to grow and develop, the persecution came from outside of that, but there's just this ongoing sense of persecution. And you know what? It's still happening today. As many as one in seven Christians in the world today experience some kind of persecution for following Jesus. And so there, there is an organisation which just does amazing work in this space, amazing work in bringing to light what is happening in the world in terms of persecution, but also bringing prayerful support and practical support to people who experience that. It's an organisation called Open Doors, and what they do, they, they um, each year put together a, a world watch list which helps um, us as people understand what's happening in the Christian world, what countries it's really hard to be a Christian in, what countries experience a lot of persecution. There's a, a video clip I'd like to show you just about that um, that helps us understand that this is a real issue even today. So let's throw to that now. So as you watch that clip, as you sit in our gathering today or you're listening to this at some other time, 
Um, maybe you've experienced some of the things that, that are mentioned in that clip in terms of uh, a country you're living in, a, a place you've lived, an experience of persecution like that. And, and you'll be able to identify readily. But, but generally, many of us who have grown up and experienced our whole Christian walk in the Western church, in a, in a country like Australia that has freedom to, to meet and gather and proclaim the name of Jesus, we, we, we struggle to understand that level of persecution that, it, that is happening around our world. So as I've looked into this a little bit, um, I, I read a number of things, and one of the things I read from a British pastor and author, David Pawson, was around how to respond when persecution or opposition comes to us today as followers of Jesus. And he suggests, and some of this really resonated, he suggested there's, there's probably five ways that, that people generally respond to opposition and persecution um, because they're following Jesus. The first one he would uh, suggest is that there's a retaliation. There's a, you know, you, you receive some words of opposition or persecution and you want to push back in the same manner. Um, and it's this fighting back, it's this, you know, debating would probably be a little bit um, too soft a word, but it's these arguments, these stand-up arguments, and, and you start to react the way they're reacting to you, and so you're actually coming down to their level. Um, and obviously, there's, it's pretty blatant disobedience to how Jesus calls us to be as we relate to others. Um, so it's not a good way to go. Uh, another way people often handle persecution is through isolation. And so to avoid the world, to avoid the people who might bring that opposition and persecution, um, we, we see people just huddle together in, in little Christian groups and avoid the world. The world seems to be evil. Um, and so the problem with this is um, if you're only ever with people who share your faith and you're never in a position where you're uh, experiencing any opposition or, or persecution, um, then it's a bit like when Jesus says, you know, you are the light of the world, don't go and hide your light under, under a basket. Um, we can't be that um, expression of Jesus in our world if we're never expressing it with people who need to hear it. So isolating is not the answer. There's this other uh, uh, way he suggests, is this adaptation, that you just want to be like the people you're with. So so if you're with some Christian people who share your faith, you're, you're doing and saying the things that they say. But when you're with some people who don't have a, a faith at all, then you're being and acting and doing the things that they do. And there, there's just this, I'll just be like whoever I'm hanging around. You're adapting to the situation around you. And, and we just know that that lacks integrity. Um, yeah, the, 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 you can't stand strong in your faith and say, I'm this person, when you're sort of a bit like a chameleon and always changing um, the way you are. The fourth uh, way he suggests people respond to opposition is, is having this Christianization idea that, that, you know, that we live in a world where everyone still sort of holds Christian morals and um, you know, everyone still sort of believes in the goodness of you know, being kind to your neighbour, helping out a mate and we sort of cover that with a Christian veneer and and you know, we see that at, at weddings and funerals when, when people who have never expressed a faith in Jesus, we still um, you know, see them talked about in a way that you know, now they're in heaven and you know, they're such a good person. And there, there's this idea that this Christian morality still exists generally amongst the population. 
Um, but, but we know that's not the case. We know we are becoming a post-Christian world if we haven't already, and, and many people do not subscribe to some of the things that Christianity upholds. But the fifth way to respond to this opposition, which I think is the way, is to actually realise that we are going on mission and we are making disciples. That when opposition comes, we are to expect it, because Jesus said to expect it, but we know that the opposition's coming because we're, we're taking ground for the kingdom. We're advancing into the neighbourhood, the homes, the workplaces, the sporting fields. We're, we're doing our best to take the message of Jesus with us where we go. Now, when we look at that as one way to um, you know, respond to the opposition and, and persecution that we're feeling or that we're experiencing, I don't know about you, but it's often hard to do to push into those spaces with intention, and we often feel ill-equipped to do it. But here, when we're looking at today's passage, Jesus has the answer to that. He says, this persecution is going to come, but I'm going to send you the Helper. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. Let's look at what he says, starting in verse 26. He says, I will send you the Advocate, the Spirit of Truth, He will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. And you must also testify about me because you have been with me from the beginning of my ministry. Two things here. So he's saying to the disciples, which is the same as saying to us today, followers of Jesus today, two things are going to happen. The Holy Spirit will come to you and he's going to testify about me, he's going to remind you of all the things I've done and said and taught you and commanded you to do. So that's the first thing. And then you have to testify as well. The Holy Spirit will testify to you about me, and then you must testify about me. And that's what we're called to do, to be disciples who are making disciples as we're on mission with God. The alternative to standing against persecution and living in reliance on the Holy Spirit is to be part of the world. That's the alternative, to fit in with the dominant culture that's around us. But I don't know if you've realised this, we can't do both. We can't follow Jesus and follow the culture of the world around us at the same time. You can't follow in two different directions. We have to choose And so, as we come to this, let's listen to John's advice on on what this looks like. John not only wrote the gospel that we're we're pushing into, but he wrote three letters. And in the first letter he writes, that we find up towards the back of the Bible, he says this, starting in chapter 2, verse 15. He says, Do not love the world of sin that opposes God and his precepts, nor the things that are in the world, If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust and the sensual craving of the flesh and the lust and longing of the eyes and the boastful pride of life, pretentious confidence in one's resources or in the stability of earthly things, these do not come from the Father but are from the world. The world is passing away and with it its lusts, the shameful pursuits of ungodly longings. But the one who does the will of God and carries out his purposes lives forever. Now that's the amplified version, which I like because it just fleshes things out a little bit. But to put it in more 
colloquial language, to put it in more common speak, the message puts the same passage like this. It says, don't love the world's ways, don't love the world's goods, love of the world squeezes out love for the Father. Practically everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important, has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from Him. The world and all its wanting, wanting, wanting is on the way out. But whoever does what God wants is set for eternity. I love that line, that love of the world squeezes out love for the Father. We cannot follow Jesus and follow the world at the same time. The world will be in opposition to followers of Jesus. But we can take heart because we have been gifted with the very Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will empower us and equip us to speak and testify on behalf of Jesus for what he's done in our lives, for what he's doing in the world, for what he's done for each and every person. And we can live into that reality as we follow Jesus. We should not be surprised that opposition and persecution comes. Now, I said earlier, we, we in Australia, we in the Western church have not experienced much of that. Potentially, in this generation, the generation to come, we will see more and more persecution for having a Christian faith in this country. And in some ways, we should expect that. And so when it comes, what's our response? Are we going to do some of those things? Are we going to retaliate? Are we going to isolate ourselves? Are we going to adapt to whatever's going on around us? Are we going to just think, no, everyone holds the same ideas about life as we do? Or are we actually going to step into the mission of God to be making disciples and living as salt and light in the places where Jesus places us? So let's be a people who follow Jesus with complete devotion. Let's be a people who support one another in this pursuit to, to stand against the persecution that, if it hasn't already come, will be coming. Let's face any persecution or opposition that we may encounter with the insurance that we have the Holy Spirit in us, that the Holy Spirit is there to help us through, to give us the words to say, to stand in union with Jesus, just like Jesus promised would be our story. Let's be praying for our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who really do face severe persecution every day because they choose to follow Jesus. The people that we heard briefly about in that clip from Open Doors, can I encourage you to, to seek out a, a, um, a group like Open Doors or others who are doing this sort of work and, and see what, what you can practically do to help. But prayerfully, let's be a prayerful people for our brothers and sisters in Christ who experience these things right now that Jesus is talking about. So as we wrap up chapter 15 and we've jumped into the start of chapter 16 in John's Gospel, there's so much in this for us. And we just want to pay attention to what the Spirit's doing. We want to pay attention to what God is leading us into. And so can I ask you to be intentional about praying into these spaces? What does it look like in your situation? It could be in your home, your workplace, your school, your sports team, your commute, whatever it looks like. Who are the people that you're rubbing shoulders with? Where is the opposition or persecution potentially coming from? 
And how do we stand in that in a way that just declares the goodness and the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done so that others would come to know that? Let's pray about that together. So Father God, I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you for your indwelling Holy Spirit for those who are following you. And we pray that your spirit would grow us and shape us and mould us to be people who can stand for you, who can stand with you, who can step into the very things you've called us to do. And that is to abide in you, to love one another, to be in community and to be going out on mission and making disciples in your name. So would you help us in that, Jesus? Would you guide us? Would you shape us? Would you use us uh, for your honour and your glory in your name? Amen.